friend, a mentor. Um, you know, being a pastor is a, a calling, not a choice. Uh, you get called to do it by the Lord and you simply follow him. But when you get called to do it, uh, you look for people that you want to be like and act like in churches uh, that we want to grow up to. And that's been Seven Rivers and uh, Ray Cortez for me. So honored to call him a friend. Uh, thrilled that he's here this weekend. He smells like Jesus. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't take me too seriously. And uh, what an honor to have you. I won't say any more. Come on up, friend. Smells like Jesus. <laughs> quite ever been introduced that way. And not sure that's all that flattering. Um, <laughs> hey gosh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Mitchell Road uh, Church had so many friends that have been here. Scott and Laura Puckett just came on staff here, longtime uh, friends. I do love uh, Andy Lewis, I think. Um, he's wicked smart. He's a great leader. He's funny. He can cook. He can play golf. He's a renaissance dude. I mean, and, and he preaches. Um, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's about the best encourager I know. And, uh, but I am disturbed uh, by him. Um, so I had him down to our church a couple years ago to preach. And, um, and, I mean, he went all Aaron Judge on us. I mean, sermon after sermon were like tape measure shots, you know, home runs. And, um, and so now I walk into the office not really that long ago, and there's a receptionist at our church. And uh, she says to me, I was just listening to another sermon of Andy Lewis. And uh, Andy, you know, we got a whole group of us. There's a bunch of us. We're getting RVs, and we're all going to go up to uh, Greenville. Uh, and we want RVs because we can't just have one Sunday there. We're going to hear Andy, and then we're going to stay all week, and then we're going to hear Andy again because Andy, Andy, Andy. <laughs> so I love the guy to death, but I'm a little sick of Andy Lewis. Um, <laughs> All right, going to read from uh, Acts chapter 1. So you finally got the Jesus and the pastor shows up and says we're reading in Acts. Um, But we're going to talk really uh, about uh, the first thing Jesus said in his ministry and the last thing he says um, in his ministry. That might be important, right? First words, last words um, as we read from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start at the sixth verse. So... When they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Amazed and astonished, they said, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is that that we hear each one of us in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontians, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libyans from Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty acts of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This is the word of God. Amen. All right. So let's talk about it together. You know, uh, I got a question um, for you. Are you on mission? Are you on mission? If I were to ask you right now, what is the mission of your life? What's your mission statement? If I were to say, take a pen, piece of paper right now, write it out. I want it in one or two lines. What is the mission statement um, of your life? Are you on um, mission, you know, vocationally? So many of you are going to get up tomorrow and you're going to go to work. Why? What's your aim? What's your purpose? Why did you choose the vocation you're in? What, what mission are you trying to accomplish? I'm trying to pay for my kids to go to college. I'm trying to feed my kids. You know, God is really good to us. Maybe we'll have that lake house somewhere. But is that ultimately what your mission is? Guy came to me and said, a uh, um, number of years ago, I went to my pastor. I had a job opportunity to uh, perhaps go to a, a, a lucrative job somewhere else. I was wrestling with that and the effect of my family. And uh, I asked my pastor for advice, and he said, well, what's your mission? What's your mission statement? I mean, does, does taking that job more square with your mission than the current job you're in? He said, well, I don't have a mission statement. He said to the pastor, do you? He said, sure. He said, could I see it? Yeah, he said, sure, it's in the car. Walked out, got it, showed him his mission statement. I mean, he said, I read this almost every day. I want to stay on mission. So what about education? Why do you send your kids to the school that you send your kids to? They come home. You know, one of the real rip-offs is teachers are supposed to teach them, but they come home with homework. And then you got to spend all night with your kid uh, with homework. And, um, and But what's the aim of all that? Why are you educating your kids? Is it so that they could get a good job? Is it that they can prosper? Um, what is the ultimate purpose of helping your kid with their homework, picking a school for your child, educating your child? I'm asking you, are you on mission? Parenting, wealth management, retirement, recreation, um, they all should be aimed at a singular purpose. So I'm asking you, do you have missional clarity in your life? I mean, gosh, life goes fast, doesn't it? I mean, who wants to waste it, right? We want to live on mission. And you know, sometimes in life, your mission can radically change. If there was, a, if there was an award, you know, if Time Magazine or whatever, giving a man of the year, I have no doubt that uh, at the end of this year, there's a great chance that, um, that President Zelensky of Ukraine will be uh, named the man of the year. Now imagine this guy. He was, do you know he was a TV star? He was a comedian. He... Um, he was the voice of Paddington Bear um, in, uh, uh, when they translated the, the, the movie for Ukrainians. Um, he was in dating movies, uh, um, romantic comedies. And, and then he was in a TV program where, um, 
he was a history teacher. Do you know this story? He was a history teacher. And, um, and uh, he goes on a rant about the corruption of the government. One of the students films it. Now, this isn't real life. This is a TV show. And uh, one of the students films it. It goes viral. And then in the show, he runs for president, gets elected president of the whole country. That actually happened, though, <laughs> in real life, too. And, uh, and, and, and so this comedian suddenly is the president of uh, one of the largest nations in Europe. And then in February, what happens? The bear comes knocking on the door. So suddenly, he has a mission, right? If he lacked any clarity about what his mission was, now he has missional clarity. So, do you. I mean, this is the pivotal moment in, uh, in redemptive history. Jesus is leaving. The mission is being passed to his guys. So what's the mission and how in the world are this inept band of brothers uh, going to accomplish it? You ready? I mean, that's a real question. It's an incredible question. How does a small group of, uh, of, of nondescript men, uh, followers of a humiliatingly executed criminal, uh, under the thumb of the most powerful empire the world has ever known, launch a faith that has become the only worldwide faith of other, uh, ever in history. How does that happen? Well, two things happen. Jesus ascended, the Spirit descended. Ready? And we got a mission. Ready to go? Here's point one. The mission clarified, right? What's the mission? If you ask most Christians, why did Jesus come to earth, what do they say? He came to earth, exactly. He came to earth to die for our sins. But it's funny, that's not what Jesus said when he started his ministry. Right before the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus began his earthly ministry and he went to every village in Galilee and he preached to them everywhere he went the gospel of the what? The gospel of the kingdom of God. So in Acts chapter 1, that's the beginning of his ministry, at the very end of his ministry, it tells us in verse 1, chapter, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, this is appearing to the apostles during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. He started speaking about the kingdom of God, he ended speaking about the kingdom of God, and what are the disciples questioning him about? Um, right here in verse 6, the first verse we read, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I love it. John Calvin said there's more theological error in this one sentence than there are words. Um, the mission wasn't to restore Israel. It was to inaugurate the restoration of the entire creation to the flourishing that God intended. The gospel of the kingdom is this declaration, is that the owner of all the world, the creator, the maker, the owner, the sustainer, is stepped into the story, stepped into the play, right? And is um, going to restore everything, reclaim and restore everything that belongs to him. Now I have to admit, I'm a minister of the gospel, I went to seminary, all that stuff, but I've always thought the ascension was just kind of the wrap-up of the end of the story. Jesus came down, right, in the incarnation. He came down out of heaven. Now he's going back. But that's not what ascension means. Ascension doesn't refer to Jesus physically going to heaven. Ascension refers to what? What does it mean when we say King Charles III has ascended? 
He hasn't gone anywhere. He's what? He ascended to the throne. That's what's happening in the ascension. Is that Jesus is being enthroned as the king of heaven and earth. He didn't just go upward and return to heaven. This is Jesus' investiture. He's being seated. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Think about uh, the Lord's prayer, right? We pray, our Father who art in heaven, and we pray, thy, what? Thy kingdom come. In the Apostles' Creed, we profess, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So what's the mission? Mission clarity, right? What's the mission? That means this is your mission. The enthroned ruling King Jesus is restoring all that mars his creation. Disease, death, divorce, poverty, political rancor, he's wiping them out. He's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So what's your mission? Pretty clear, isn't it? What's your mission? Charge the darkness. Mend the world in the name of the risen Jesus. I love that that you're talking about this mill village. That's exactly it, right? Find where in your community there's brokenness and go there in the name of the king and bring life and hope and healing. Way to go, Mitchell Road Church. May you subscribe that amount and uh, more for this grand ministry. So we've got a, we've got a, um, uh, we've got a, um, a woman's ministry director, children's ministry director at our church a number of years ago, and she has brought vigor to our whole staff. And she is, um, I mean, she's just alive with Jesus in a way that's energizing all of us. Until the day comes, she calls me on the phone. She's going somewhere. And she says, I got to tell you, her husband's an attorney. He's a school board attorney. And he says, we're going to a community in South Florida. And he's going to become taking the job as school board attorney. And, of course, I respond, good luck to him. Um, I hope you're not going with him. And... uh, (laughs) Um, she says, uh, you, know, you know, so we're going to leave. And uh, this is devastating as I'm hearing this news. And not only that, I said to her, come on. You guys have no idea what you're doing. Do you know the school board that he's going to? Do you know the entire previous school board um, is uh, in prison for corruption? Every single one of them. Um, and do you know that the current school board is all under federal indictment for corruption? Do you know what kind of hornet's nest you're stepping into? Do you know what kind of brokenness? Do you know what happens to people who go and, and, and work there? You're out of your minds. And um, she said to me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have bothered you. Um, could you please put my pastor on the phone? <laughs> because my pastor tells us that we're supposed to go to the most broken place. We're supposed to go to where uh, darkness reigns with the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's what my husband and I are intending to do. So I'm sorry, sir, whoever you are, uh, to have bothered you. But please get my pastor. You got the mission? You understand the mission? Okay, missional clarity. Second, then, missional uh, mobilization, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, right? So who's appointed to advance the mission? 
You know, when a new king was crowned in the ancient world, that's what we're talking about. There's a new king. That's the declaration. That's the message of Jesus. There's a new king. Who's supposed to go tell the world that? They didn't have the BBC, right, to announce it. They didn't have the internet uh, to make things um, known. Messengers had to be dispatched to the end of the realm and say, we have a king, right? Now the disciples comically, in Acts 1, they need they need prodding as Jesus ascends. Remember, the angels have to come to them and say, literally what? Why are you standing here still staring up into heaven? He's not coming back. Go, 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 go. Well, that's what I'm praying happens right now in this room. Go. We'll hear, we'll hear the command of God. Go. Go make disciples. He says, Jesus says, go to those who are near, Jerusalem and Judea. Go to those you despise. Go to Samaria. Go to Nineveh. Go to liberals. Go to the end of the earth. The ascension means go tell the world we have a king. So again, I ask, are you on mission? Love your neighbors. That's what it means, right? Love your neighbors. Literally, your neighbors. Welcome people at church. I imagine into this glorious fellowship every week walk people who don't know Jesus. The majority of people who come to faith in our church are people who walk through the door believing they're Christians. Um, Do you know how many lonely people there are in Greenville, South Carolina? Do you know how many people in Greenville, South Carolina desperately need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the community of Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church? So when you walk in this place on Sundays, you're looking for them. We have a rule in our church, it's a seven-minute rule. When the service is over, you may not talk to your friends. You may not talk to your small group people. You may not talk to anybody else around you. They're still going to be hanging out uh, afterwards, annoyingly hanging out for a long time. Um, You've got plenty of time to visit um, with them. You go find somebody you don't know because you're on what? Mission. It's about mission. Life, the life that's about me is a small life. Um, we live out our mission in our vocations, right? So my daughters have been to Kenya. They've, they've, they've been to the Kibera slum, considered the worst one square mile on the planet Earth. There's a million people live there. No running water, no um, police, no education, no electricity. You have to straddle when you walk in the ditch because the sewage is flowing in it. And uh, you have to put Vips, uh, Vicks Vapor Rub under your nose so you don't vomit if you're not used to living there. And you see little, and the, the most heartbreaking is see little children filling water bottles out of that ditch uh, to procure water for themselves. We had a guy in our church, he works at the sore plant in our community. And I'd tell him that story and I'd said, the biggest problem perhaps in the whole world is lack of access to clean drinking water. Now people say that 60% of the disease in the world could be eradicated if there was just clean drinking water. And you know what you do? You know what you go do every day? Yeah, I work at the sewer plant. I said, no, you bring clean drinking water to this community in the name of the risen king who came to make all things new. You're the minister of sewage, my friend. Whatever your vocation is, do you understand? How, listen, if you sell pornography, you're not on mission, right? Because you're not bringing hope and healing and light to broken places. You're actually creating more darkness, aren't you, right? So there are jobs that, that aren't on mission. But when you discover that the vocation that you're giving yourself to every day when you, when you wake up early in the morning, get in your car and drive to work, is on mission, it changes your life. 
When you decide that when you retire and you're no longer going to work every day, that every day the only reason God's given you life is because there's still mission to be accomplished, right? You are the emissaries. You are the missionaries. So I, I, um, I had that day. I have a dad. I have two, two daughters, two sons. And that day came, the day you dread, the day that uh, you, your daughter's been dating a guy and you get the tip off from her that he's going to call. So you steal yourself. And, uh, and, and he calls. And uh, he asks, you know, if he can marry uh, my daughter. So you've prepared for this all your life. You're trying to think of something that'll make his knees tremble. And, um, and so we go through the little chit-chat. And uh, we all know this is predetermined, um, ancient ritual. And, um, and so we ask if he can marry her. And I said, let's, let's cut to the chase. Here's the whole deal. You're good to her. We're good. You're not good to her. We're not good. First time in my life I was ever concise, if you've heard me preach. And, um, and this is where things went a little awry. Because he said, can I ask a question? Well, no. You're supposed to be trembling. Once you get the yes, you just end the phone call. You got what you wanted. You got my girl. Can I ask a question? He said, do you know that your daughter and I, after we're married, tend to move into the worst part of town, the most blighted part of town, um, into, the, into the hood? There's, there's drugs and gang activity rampant there. So you said we're good if I take care of your daughter. If I marry your daughter and we move into that neighborhood, are we still good? And... Um, and God gave me grace to say something I'm not sure I entirely believed. But I said, to Eric, if you don't move into that neighborhood, um, then we're not good. Um, I said, because the greatest danger to my grandchildren, my daughter and my grandchildren to come, is the um, rampant um, materialism of North American culture. And, uh, and if you take uh, that kind of act, action to save them from that and put them on a missional course, then we're really, really good. Got it? What's the mission? Mission clarity. Secondly, who are uh, the mobilized? Who's mobilized? That's us. Third and last, how's the mission empowered? How does this happen? Eleven guys who couldn't even define the mission after three years with Jesus... Um, how do they change the world? Jesus tells his team, don't do a thing. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So 10 days after his ascension to the throne was the Feast of Pentecost. Jews traveled from, uh, to Jerusalem from all over the world. And what happened? What happened? Three things happened there. Power happened. What happened, right? Power happened um, because the, 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 the wind came, um, fresh wind came. Listen, I'm from the state of Florida. You got TV sets. We've seen something about wind in the last uh, week and a half, haven't we? And what if a hurricane wind that can undress a, uh, a multi-million dollar house built with the best construction techniques, what if that same wind blows inside of you? What's the power of the wind of God, the spirit of God, eye-opening, soul-rocking, life-transforming gospel power, the power of a mighty 
wind blows. You know what it says? The apostles were telling of the mighty deeds of God. I want you to notice what they weren't doing. They weren't telling people to shape up. They weren't telling those people from all over the world, start behaving. God's ticked at you. They were proclaiming what God had done to rescue them. Some people say, why are people leaving the church? A young woman in our church said to me recently, well, I'll tell you the church I grew up in is all I know is every week people left the church feeling guilty, feeling like they haven't done enough, feeling like they're not good enough. Instead of hearing of the mighty deeds of God, right? It's the rule of, uh, the first rule of, uh, of AA, right? Alcoholics Anonymous. You need a power outside of yourself. You, we need God to do something that we cannot do. And he's done it through Jesus Christ. And there is power, power in that. And that day, 3,000 people had a train wreck with the grace of God. I have to ask you this morning, I can't take anything for granted. Have you experienced that? Have you been converted? Has the wind of God blown in your life? Because you can go to church all your life and never be converted. Every one of the people at Pentecost were so religious, they traveled from all the war over the world to come to this feast. These are the most religious people in the world, and they weren't converted. Are you converted? So I'll never forget this guy who walks in our church. And it was Christmas Eve, and he reeked of alcohol. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, he's about to light a candle in our service. (laughs) It's going to be a blowtorch. He came to our new members class because his wife, you know, see the wind blew in her heart, and, and she was converted, and it rocked his world. He was a salty guy. He was from New Hampshire, and he was a tile layer. And uh, he came to church. He always braced himself with a little something before he came in. And he came to this new members class. He would leave every time halfway. He told me later, I'd drive home cursing, mocking God. I'm not falling for this stupidity. The last class, he said he got halfway home mocking God. And suddenly he began to weep. The wind blew in his heart. That's what happened. The power of the gospel to change anyone. Secondly, I want you to see what else happened. There was is the tongues, right? There was a picture of healed community. The apostles are speaking, and out of their mouth are coming languages they never learned. So that the gospel suddenly is leaping over cultural barriers to go to the entire world. The, the Tower of Babel, the confusion of languages, is reversed in that moment by the power of God. Uh, so wind happened, tongues happened, Disciples spoke in languages um, uh, of the people. You know, on, on the first day of Jesus' church, it's obvious his family will be multi-ethnic, multilingual. Christ church is to be a model of racial and ethnic healing. Gosh, what power. Um, I remember some years ago, some people in our church got word that... Uh, there was, it was a woman attending our church, a young woman, and her grandma died. She was an African-American woman. We live in the smallest African-American populated county in the state of Florida. Uh, so uh, African-Americans in our community have never had any clout, economic clout, um, political clout. Um, they're marginalized. They're, they're, uh, they're a small part of our community. 
And this woman's grandma had died, and she said, you know, with all my heart, the one thing I want to do is bury my grandma in the black cemetery. Well, I've been a pastor there probably 25 years. I didn't know there was a black cemetery. Apparently, a lot of people didn't either, because she said it's totally grown over. Uh, and uh, there's limbs down, there's trees down. It's, it's almost lost to history. Next thing I know, I hear that all these small groups in our church and other people had, had, had gotten wind of that, and they all went there, and they, they, got, they brought bobcats and chainsaws and all kinds of things, and they cleaned the whole cemetery, and they put the stones back up, and they put it in their grandma gut buried there. And I remember, I didn't organize that. I didn't lead that. That wasn't my vision. I just remember hearing about it and saying, gosh, I want to be in that church. I want to be in the church that does that. How about you? That's the mission. The deepest healing that a community needs, right? So tongues, restoration came between people and the power of the wind. And one other thing came, right? Fire. Fire. The presence of the Father love of God happened. That's how God reassures his people in all history. When Abraham says to God, what? You told me you would give me as many kids as the sand on the seashore, and I've got what? None. What does God do? He sends a smoking fire pot, right? It's always fire in the Bible. When When Moses is lost in the wilderness, God brings a burning bush. When the Israelites are wandering through the desert, God brings a pillar of fire. When the Holy Spirit comes, that fire, that presence of the radical reassurance of of the Father love of God um, rocks us. God's people are rocked by God's love, that deep assurance we find in Romans 5. Do we have that verse by any chance? Oh, well. Um, what it, there it is. Good. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. It's the Spirit that bears witness with our spirit. They are the children of God. God's Spirit, deep inside of us, makes our adoption a felt reality. They thought the people were what? Do you remember at Pentecost? Onlookers thought they were Drunk. They were, they were acting drunk because they were intoxicated with the love of God like they'd never experienced it before. This is what energizes and powers the mission. So let me finish. I'm, I'm in, uh, I got invited some years ago, not many years ago, to, to preach in Los Angeles. I mean, are you kidding me? Los Angeles. Tinsel town. It's my big moment. I'm a... Uh, Hollywood, baby. Um, and, uh, and there I am, and this church has a couple thousand people in it, and uh, they meet in this big auditorium in Santa Monica, and uh, the kind of the, the deal of where they meet is, as a preacher, you're backstage the whole service. You're behind the curtains. And, uh, and then you're going to walk out um, to preach. And I am scared out of my mind. And I am back there just all tense and taut, and uh, yeah, people are praying over me. It isn't working. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that I'm going to get one word out of my mouth. And uh, and suddenly, right before I'm about to get out, this girl gets up and she sings, "You're a good, good father." And I'd never heard that song before. It's who you are. It's who you are. And and I believed it. And I remember I walked on the stage and I gave my message and. 
And the most astonishing thing happened. I mean, I felt so free. The most astonishing thing happened. When I finished, applause swept through the room. And I gotta admit, I loved it. But anyway, I, I digress. What I want to say is, it's like God visited that room. And people came back. I didn't, I was a guest at that church. They said, that's never happened before. What was that? And I mean, I just knew. It was the radical reassurance of the love of God that set a preacher free to communicate those very words to those people. Um, Listen. When they got the assurance of the love of God in Acts chapter 1, they went on mission for the one who had gone on mission for them. Mitchell Road Church, the king has ascended to the throne. Let's go mend the world. Amen. Is it my job to pray? All right. Father God, um, we need wind. We need converting wind. We need, um, we need the fire of your presence. We need freedom to forget about ourselves and our fears and our um, little world and uh, see the king seated on the throne and bring um, hope and life, love, kindness, joy to every place that's broken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.